from the rooftop to your doorstop and everything in between. It's Mr. Fix-It Tim Noteboom on It Takes Two with Amy and JJ. Mr. Fix-It time. Taking all your home maintenance and home repair questions is Mr. Fix-It himself, Tim Noteboom. Welcome back to the studio. Hi, guys. Happy New Year. Yeah, beautiful start to the new year, maybe. I know. A little flurries outside, but it's not bad. I know. I was telling JJ that um, my kids were outside playing with the neighbor kids last night. They were playing football. Yeah. There's no snow in the yard. They're playing football. Not in snowsuits on January 2nd. That is just bonkers. Well, I saw our neighbors out playing basketball. They've got a basketball hoop in the driveway. (laughs) And and over Christmas break, they're playing basketball. Yeah, why not? I love it. Um, Okay, let's get to the text club. If you've got questions, you can text in now, 35270. You can also call us at 237-5948-800-880-5346. That's our Laney Studio line. And our text club at 35270 brought to you by Adventure RV. Okay, how often should a septic tank be pumped and should you add enzymes afterwards to the tank? I feel like we got on this topic yeah, for a we long time. Yeah, we talked about that a lot, we, yeah. 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 Um, it, it really depends. When, when we lived out in the country and we, we lived out uh, rurally for about 25 years and we had septic tanks in three different properties we, we lived at. And it was just myself and, and Tammy and, and we had one son. And to be honest, we never pumped our septic tank, uh, but we were pretty conscious about what we put in it, uh, about how we took care of it. Uh, so we didn't really have any problem with it filling up. Uh, if you got larger households and you go th- through a lot of toilet paper, a lot of things, products like that, um, then yeah, you might want to get it pumped every a newer system, you know, three, four years, something like that, maybe five. Um, Adding enzymes or adding other type of uh, organic matters to get the the biomass heating up is always a good idea. Especially this winter is going to be really important because so far we have no snow. And if you look at the 10-day forecast, the weather starts getting colder and colder and colder. So that frost is going to drive down deep. And someone could risk the uh, run the risk of, of having a frozen septic tank or drain field. Uh, if they don't have enough biomass in there to generate heat. I know one big thing, too, is if you find yourself pumping your septic tank on a semi-regular basis, there's another issue, right? So, like, right. you know, you're getting water in there somehow. There's, like, some kind of a leak. Yep. Uh, I, I Years back, I remember I had a friend who was like, yeah, we had to pump our septic t- system, like, three times this year. And I go, and it's just you and your wife? There's something wrong. There's something there's wrong. There's something wrong there. Yep, the drain field may not be working properly, or there's something uh, something going on where the, that water is just not getting out of there. Okay, this is a great question that I don't think we've ever asked. But someone says, is there questions we should be asking when window shopping? For example, we live by a highway, and some windows are better for noise, UV protection, et cetera. What are the questions they should be asking when window shopping. Wow, that is a good question. We, we yeah. have not had that. I know, and that's a really great question. Right. Um, probably the you know start with uh, your budget when you're doing window shopping, um, because if you're on a little tighter budget, vinyl windows and vinyl replacements are going to be your your best go to. Um, then as you your budget increases, if you want to do some clad casements or aluminum casements or things like that, then they start getting a little more expensive. Um, looking at windows, yes. If, if you have south-facing windows, you want to think about some UV tint or something in there to, to stop some of that uh, sunlight from fading, 
carpet and, or actually changing the colors of walls behind pictures. Uh, woodwork, things like that always changes with the sunlight. Um, the other thing to think about is, is there is a difference between a slider window and a casement window or double hungs with how much energy efficiency there is. Um, slider windows or, or double hungs tend to be a little more drafty. Um, again, they're a little more on the economy side, so you have to look at, at, at your budget. Uh, but they tend to let a little more breeze in um, than a casement because of the positive locking on the casement, and it tends to seal up better. Um, and that would probably affect your noise, too. So if you're on a busy street, you want something that seals tight and maybe has a thicker glass. I mean, I think maybe the number one question is, what windows did you put in your home, Tim Noteboom? <laughs> well, <laughs> That's our, always our go-to question, because you yep. built not that long ago, right? Yep. and you we, made all these choices. Yep, we did. We did these choices, and and what I put in was clad casement windows, uh, which means a casement window is ones that with a crank on it that crank out mm-hmm. you know, from the side, and then when they close shut, you have a lock on the side, you lock it shut. And uh, that's that's always been my go-to for the last several houses because um, I was very conscious about, yep, I want a good product that's going to last. So an aluminum-clad window um, for me was my choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have a lot of uh, good friends that, that did some new windows and put some nice vinyl windows in, and, and they're very nice. You know, they've come a long ways. Yeah. yeah. In terms of, you know, if this person really is – right beside a highway and it's all about sort of trying to keep as much noise out noise as possible, out. Yep. then would you have to go for that higher grade window to get that well, noise either protection? that or the thickness of glass might help too. Mm. Um, but the casement might actually close better and, and seal more uh, to keep some of the noise out. Um, you can also address some of that with, with some blinds during the day or night um, to, to close and that might buffer some of that sound. Yeah. I imagine, too, it depends. Like, if you're talking about, if this texter is talking about a house that hasn't had the windows replaced since, like, 1975. Correct. That everything, anything, anything, anything you go for is going to be a major change. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, utility bills and the draft sitting there, you know, if you sit have a chair close to that window, you're going to feel the difference in, in a 30-year-old window. Let me While we're on windows, let me ask a question about... Uh, what happens if you start to see condensation between, like, a double-paned window? Condensation between the glass means that that seal is broken. And when I, what I mean by seal, there's two pieces of glass, and there's an airspace in between. A lot of times they, they would inject some inert gases in there to help it. Um, but they put a gasketed seal around these two windows to keep any moisture or condensation or, or regular air to get in there. And so what happens when that seal gets ruptured and it all would take a little pinhole then you start getting condensation because the outer glass is cold the inner glass is warm and you get moisture you know up against that in that window and it starts to grow when it's cold and then it will dissipate during the day when the sun shines maybe and it affects your visibility more than the actual insulation value because when you look at a window the the r value or the insulation value of that window is maybe only half or a third of what the actual wall is. So it is, you know, you're, where all the cold is going to come from regardless. So if, if you have a window that has an R7, say, for instance, if it has a insulated glass seal broken, yeah, maybe it's a six and a half or a six. But it's, it's not crucial there. It's more of an aesthetic thing. 
So r- really, it's not something that, oh my gosh, middle of January, we got to rip out yep. this window and put a no. new one in. Nope, it's not the end of the world. Um, again, if you felt the temperature on that one versus one right next to it that didn't have a broken seal, you you probably wouldn't be able to measure the difference yourself without some equipment, but you may not be able to see out during the day. Okay. Yeah. Uh, another question, uh, and this might need a crystal ball for it, but why are orders for <laughs> sliding glass doors seven to eight months out? <laughs> well, I don't know. I know that ever since COVID, and, and we keep using that as an excuse, a lot of times products and and components got delayed so bad. And, and this could be one of those things that it's maybe not the, the framework or the rollers or the latch. It might be the glass itself. It, it, there's obviously one critical part of that that is in high demand and back ordered but i don't know what that is i know that certain types of furniture are still you know you're looking at a long long lead way and even like you said even though we've caught up with the supply chain yep. all it takes is one part one piece yep and i would also say this too we have more options than we've ever had before when it comes to customizing a lot of windows and doors and pieces and so if you chose a handle that they just don't have in stock yep or it's a size thing if you're sure. trying to fit a size opening and having custom sizing. Um, but my guess is probably something like that, the glass. I, I know some of the glass uh, components in some of these doors and windows is is really slow in coming. What about, so I've got a, a dog that loved to, we call it the bye-bye window, where he would look out. <laughs> and it's a low enough bay window that he was able to like get up and see that. Well, also, you know, we live close enough to the river where turkeys will come up sometimes or another dog. He's really scratched the wood like casing on it. Yep. Is there anything I can do with that? Uh, I mean, it's to the point of where he scratched it and clearly, you know, dug d- into it a little bit. Yeah. 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 Some of the windows, um, for instance, my clad casements, all of the trims around the inside pop off. Oh, really? Um, and they're a Marvin clad casement. I'll just throw it out there. Um, but they just pop off and you can take them out in the garage and sand them down and refinish them and put them back on. Usually they're held in with a couple little nails or something. But other than that, if the option is probably get some sanding blocks or something to form to that shape because it's not necessarily always a flat piece of... Yeah, I know. It's very, it's very <laughs> intricate. Yeah. So, so you end up trying to sand it down a little bit, taking the finish off of the rest of it because trying to fill a little bit and match it in, it's, it's going to look hodgepodge. And if someone was a do-it-yourselfer, I imagine you would say, use the sanding blocks, don't go grab a Dremel, because right. you'd be. it's just like people who sand their floors, and they're like, don't pull the drum back, because never, you yeah, can never gouge it do really easily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some technique things, and again, yeah, this, some of the sanding blocks form to the shape to do some molding things, so if you push a little bit down it, they're going to be like a sponge, or they'll kind of take form, and it'll help you sand all those crevices. This is also a good question, Tim. People have got big goals going into the new year. Someone says, we need an addition. 97 house, looking to add a bathroom, main level laundry, and one attached garage stall. Concrete foundation, full basement rambler. What is my first step? Uh, wow, your first Th- step. Those are big jobs. They are. <laughs> That's a, it sounds like quite an addition. I mean, it, yeah. it's really... Uh, but I think the first step would be to go to um, a draftsman or go to somebody who can draw this out for you 
and start getting you some plans. Um, you can you can get a general contractor and tell them what you're looking at, and he yep. would just pencil something on the desk for you and then take it somewhere to get actually drawings made. So if you're hiring a general contractor, that's where you'd go is to find a general contractor, tell him your needs, tell him what your thoughts are. He's going to lay it out. He's going to get the drawings made, and he'll get it going. If you're going to be your own general contractor and want to take this on, then most likely the best place to start would be go to a lumberyard because they've got all the draftsmen with your penciled-out sketch. Talk to a salesman. They'll get something drawn up and complete with foundation plans and things like that. Then you've got to get a contractor for the concrete, um, plumbing, Gosh, find kind of a general so, contractor. Yeah. Really, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I just... It is. If, if you have no experience in this type of thing, yes, yeah. find a general contractor. Find and, a general contractor, and there are some really good ones out there. And if you have got, if you have a preference on who the subcontractors are for plumbing Certainly. and painting yep. and those things, you can talk about that with your general yep. contractor. You can say, yeah, like, I've got a good friend use. who's a painter, yep. Yeah, and yeah. I want to use him. And he'd say, sure. And also, get on a list. Get on a list now. I mean, most contractors are doing work year-round, but man, oh, man, they might be, you know, a project like this, we're talking at, at least two months, I would say. Oh, yeah. At, at the very yep. minimum. And so if they've got nine other jobs ahead of you at the same thing, like, you just have to be paid. If you want it by Christmas 2024, <laughs> now's the time to start acting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and for sure. Get, that way, now's a good time to start all that, get all the discussion stuff, get it all laid out, get your budget figured out, and then add... 15% or 20%. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Bingo. I mean, that's the other thing too, right? Like act now because prices, mm-hmm. they just keep going up. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Fix-It, Tim Nopum in the studio taking home maintenance and home repair questions. We were talking a little bit more as we went off the air about this um, this uh, addition that this person is looking to do. An attached garage, a main level laundry, a bathroom. And a garage. Yeah. Yeah. One attached garage. Main level laundry in a bathroom. And I thought to myself, oof, is that just like new house territory? But well, maybe not. I mean, I guess it doesn't seem as bad when I read read it again. Yeah, it really depends on how vested they are in that house, um, whether they're in love with the neighborhood and, and they this is really what they want to do. Or if that price tag comes in at $75,000 or $100,000, okay, then where do you decide where your best return is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also, you know, they're talking about two things that involve a, a huge amount of plumbing, a bathroom and a main level laundry. And so unless you're stacking that right above, you know, unless you're putting a bathroom right above where another bathroom was, and even that case, it's difficult or, right. you know, getting yeah, the plumbing lines. Is the basement unfinished so you can get to the plumbing lines mm-hmm. and electrical and all that kind of stuff, so. There's a lot of components to that. Yeah. Here's but an interesting. A contractor oh. will help you. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> That's the first that place. Be first yes. Here's a question. How can I tell if something is a load-bearing wall? And in this world of do-it-yourselfers, I think that it's this is a another reason why you might be interested in getting a general getting, contractor, yep. someone who can read your house like a book. Right. Yeah. And I mean there are some simple ways to figure that out. Um first of all, look at the roof line and see which way the trusses run. Um, or if you can't see it there, then go up in the attic and see which way they run. And if they're resting on walls, typically, unless they're planned to be clear span trusses, uh, most of the time that wall might be load bearing. Um, there's obviously some, a lot of interior walls that are just there to divide up the space, but it might 
be a simple call just to a, a contractor or, you know, even probably some home inspectors might go in there and for a, for a fee and look at it and say, yep, you can, you know, as far as I can tell, you can take this wall out or nope, that's a load bearing wall. And doesn't mean you still can't take it out. You just had to make some provisions to carry that load. And that might mean just uh, installing a little micro lamb or some other beam across there and putting uh, on the outside walls a couple of posts to support it. Mm-hmm. So at least you're opening it up. You might have a, a an exposed beam or a covered beam across the room. While we're at it, can we talk about the different ways people can frame a house? You know, so like I hear about balloon framing and things <laughs> like that. I mean, we've we've had all code has changed so much over the years that depending on the era your house was built, it really depends on what you're able to do inside. I think we think, oh, I've got this house. I can do whatever I want with it. But that's not always the case. Correct. Yeah. So I'm. Balloon framing is an old, well, it's still a term used today, but it's something that uh, extends from years ago. Um, That's typically if you've got something more than a single story wall and they'll run a stud, you know, a 16 foot two by fours to make two, you know, 16 or 20 foot or to make two floors. Um, And when they do that, usually you have to do some sort of bracing in between. You put some studs in between them to keep them from, from flexing and, and moving around. So you don't see that very often unless it's in uh, some sort of an outside wall or some big window wall uh, looking at the lake. And if they're doing that, a lot of times they're going to use engineered two-by-fours or something to stiffen that wall up. Um, so so it's not something you see very often. Most conventional framing is regular 8-foot or 9-foot or maybe 10-foot walls and then a floor and then another set of walls and then a roof or a floor. So that that's the common way of framing things. I know, you know, I think of the homes where you walk in and it's got the exposed two story, you know, you can see right. the exposed two stories and you're like, well, that's a one huge wall you got there yep. that seems to go from top to bottom. Um, oh, by the way, the person who is wondering about this uh, this addition texted and they, oh, they've got an ace in the hole. They said the house is paid off. We love the neighborhood. Brother is a master electrician. Well, I'll see you got Whoa! one part covered. Yeah. yeah. So, Actually, ask your brother who's the the general contractor yeah, he, that they he's like. He's probably got some contractor names that he could share with you. And again, unless they're going to general around them, they're themselves, um, because you'll have a plumber, you'll have an electrician. Um, it depends on who's doing your framing, your concrete work, um, drywall, uh, hanging is one thing. Tape and texture is a whole other thing. And uh-huh. We've talked about that a lot because that's that's an art in itself. We all think we can do it, and I've done it. You've done it. Um, but I'll never do it? it again. Nope, nope. There's just some things left better to people that, that do that for a living. And like I said, it's an art form when you actually watch somebody good do it. I mean, I've watched videos with people who are using a, a knife that must be two feet long, right? And they're able to do a ceiling in four swipes. And you go like, <laughs> that's amazing. Because let me tell you something. I was up there at 4 o'clock in the morning with paint lights cursing the last time I was trying it. Um, somebody else asks Tim, when watching woodworking shows, they are gluing trim. They spray something from an aerosol can on the glue before connecting the wood piece. What are they spraying? Uh, it's probably some type of activator agent or something like that that will make that glue um, almost like on contact. Uh, a lot of times if you're doing molding work, when you go around a corner, you'll see them a lot of times glue the miters around doors, windows, base, uh, just to keep that miter joint tight uh, and from, from separating or drying out. So they would put glue on it and then 
it's my guess is I'm not 100% sure, but it's probably some sort of a reactive agent that's going to make that more of a contact glue. Do you, if you were going to do some woodwork like that, would you use wood glue on it? I do. A lot of times I just use regular plain old, you know, wood glue, Elmer's wood glue or something. Uh, there's several other brands, but uh, when I do some miter work like that, I will glue the miters and I've got a uh, brad nailer, a pin nailer, and I'll shoot a nail in there too to hold it. I think a lot of times we, we go to like a home improvement store and we're like, oh, I can put this shelf up, no problem, right? So it's just I have to put two screws in the wall. And that's when you learn like, oh, okay, well, there's nothing behind the drywall unless you found a stud and right. those little things. I, I think people can do a lot of damage to their homes before they educate themselves. <laughs> and so that's a good thing yep. why we have like a conversation with you going on right now. Um, somebody, so this is an interesting question. Somebody's asking about uh, they had a, a house that was built in 1982 and they're getting ready to do renovations. And one of the things that they were doing is they took a chunk of the wall out and it's drywall over plaster. So clearly at one point they were like, listen, the plaster's cracking. We're not going to pull it all out. We're just going to put drywall over that. And they're wondering, should I make it to match and double the drywall layer? Um, Double the drywall layer. Uh, that'd be one way if you're, if you're, if it's one continuous wall, you're getting to a spot where you've got the other thicknesses. You might consider doing that. I would tend to just have a, a little corner lip or a little transition piece there or something. Um, I mean, conceivably, you could also you could cut like first strips for yeah. each of the two by fours, right, and get yep, somewhere could, closer to that. Yep. I feel like it would be it's double the expense yeah. for just the material if yeah. you did double drywall. Yeah, if you're gonna pull that. St- that old plaster off and lath off, um, you're right. You, you might be better off just furring out those two by fours, um, cutting some strips, whether they're half inch thick or whatever you need to make up the difference, and then just sheetrocking that way. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I would, and you don't get any extra value, I think, if it's an interior wall doing no. a double drywall. No. Other no, than there's no, your picture will stay hung a little bit better without any kind of an anchor. <laughs> yeah, it might be a little quieter wall with two sheets of sheetrock, but I, I think that's twice the work of, of furring out those two-by-fours. Uh, another person wants to ask, we have a very sloppy entryway at the back of our house, hardwood uh, up to it. I'd like to pull some of the hardwood out and add tile in that area. So I imagine like if you had like a you know like an entrance space that's yep, going to be like tiled, probably thing, easier yeah. to clean. Like, yeah, could it, you do that? When it, oh, sloppy as in messy, yeah, water and mud. Okay, um, yeah, you could certainly pull the the wood floor up if it's real wood. It's, there's going to be a lot of nails and and a lot of times it's going to be thicker. So you have to think about the thickness because you'll, you'll be going down to some subfloor underneath that, and then how are you going to make that up, or do you need to for the next transition? Um, so where it meets the next, if you're going to put tile, whether it's uh, ceramic or duraceramic or vinyl tiles whatever um how is that thickness going to line up with the sure. next piece into the next room God, you know i feel like that that can be a little tricky because depending on how heavy-handed you are with the mortar right i mean you know the, yeah I, if you're doing ceramic bit, tile, right? yeah yep Ooh. because you're, you're putting true mortar in there um some of the other stuff you know vinyl luxury vinyl tiles or vinyl planking uh requires just a very thin set and so you can get by with, you know, very little height there. So 
So look at your what you want to do for finished project. What's the thickness of that plus any type of glue or mortar mix, and then work backwards from there. Oh boy, and probably dry fit that thing in there, right? Just <laughs> before you start nailing, screwing, gluing anything yep. in there. Um, another person wants to know they've got some crumbling brick around a fireplace. Is there anything you can do to protect the brick that's there before I start pulling the old pieces off? Oh, I don't know if there's a product to put on that or not. I, I've seen a lot of mortar around fireplaces that starts to get crumbly and, and dusty, and you kind of pick at it and clean it till you get something solid. Um, the bricks, if they're drying out enough that they're actually defacing or pieces falling off, um, I guess I don't know of any product you can put on that to try to s- slow it, that down. Is is it, I mean, is it? indicating that something else is going wrong if you if you've got it to the point of where it's crumbling and you're worried about the rest no, of it a lot of, around a fireplace it, it could be just the brick itself is just getting tired or dried out from from fires or from heat excess baking and baking all the time um, sometimes concrete itself will decay because of moisture I don't know that this would be the case on the brick that's why I think it must be the heat factor or just a brick that wasn't cured well. How often do you think someone should have their chimney like cleaned if, if for a wood burning or someone who is converted to gas? Right. So if you've got a wood burning fireplace, a true wood burning fireplace um, with a clay liner, which is a lot of the older styles had that, if you burn in there regularly, uh, I would recommend sweeping it once a year. Really? Yep. Because the, top to bottom, the whole top thing. Top to bottom, especially the further it goes. If you've got a two-story house and that chimney starts on the main level, by the time it gets up close to the top, it's cooled down. That smoke and, and soot is cooled down enough. It's going to start to stick everywhere. So I would recommend it annually. If, if you like to burn 10, 20 times in the wintertime, sweep it annually. Would And if someone's never had it swept before, because I know people who do wood burning and maybe have never done it, it's it's a whole other case, right? I mean, like, yeah. I mean, it's almost like heart surgery, right? Like when the heart can actually pump the whole way, you're shocked at how much oxygen gets yeah. to the brain. Yeah, they burn better. And and when I say have it swept, that doesn't mean necessarily you climbing up on the roof and pushing this brush down there. Uh, there's actually chimney sweeps in town, and they they come out and go up on the roof. They plastic off the inside. As I say, they bring the stuff yep. to protect everything yep. inside, so all that stuff doesn't come down into the living room and the carpet and everywhere else. So. Th- so they do it properly. They do a good job, and it's not that expensive. But uh, um, if you've got a modern fireplace with a, a metal line chimney, um, you probably don't need to, to do it that often because they stay warmer all the way up. Okay. Someone asks a fuel oil furnace chimney. So if they've got a fuel oil uh, for their heater yep. in the house, like well, yep. how often should they be cleaning that chimney? Uh, that's a little different. They do smoke. They, they are a sooty-type mess. But I don't hear of too many instances where those clay liners get plugged very much or have chimney fires compared to a wood-burning fireplace. Sure. Mostly because I think uh, with with the fuel oil, that fire is contained or it's actually burning in a heat exchanger area. So it's it's contained there. So it's the heat and the fumes that are going, some of it going out, uh, which is different than a fireplace where you've got more of that flame and heat going up. And, mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, do they make a shingle with a lifetime warranty? Uh, no. No, I wouldn't think so no. either. Now, no. that being said, 
those tin roofs, I feel like they say like 50 yep, years. They've got 50 year, a lot of times 50 year type lifetime warranty or 50 year warranty. Uh, they'll probably prorate it for some reason um, because it's feel. Uh, some of the newer shingles and um, composite type shingles, you can get 40 and 50 year rated shingles now. Really? Yeah. Um, which is fine if you're going to live in the house for 40 years. Right, because normally they don't transfer to the new owner, no. so it's not a benefit to the next person right. who's going to so, be in that home. So before you start going from the traditional shingle that's a 25- or 30-year shingle up to something that's 50 years, think about that investment difference. And if you're going to be in that house or when you're going to sell, does it really matter if, if, if it's got that extra 20 years on it? There you go. Some good homework from Tim Noteboom, Mr. Fix-It here at KFGO. If you missed any of this or you need a refresher course, we're going to get podcast at kfgo.com. Tim Always a pleasure to have you yeah, in the studio. Great time. Thank we'll you. We'll see you again on February 7th. It'll be a late one next month. There we go.